Good. Uh, my name is Donna McCarrier, and I work at FHI 360, and I'm the Director of Reproductive Maternal Newborn and Child Health at FHI 360. So we've been here a lot, Donna, at Wimdeloo, where we're sat now in Copenhagen, about the Zika virus and about you know, putting women's rights and needs to the centre of this epidemic. Um, do you, could you talk about maybe the lack of um, focus on women's rights and needs in Brazil at the moment um, and what hope there might be for the future. You know, for every new epidemic, we're interested in the epidemiology, the vectors, the control, the treatment. And I think what we're seeing now, like that, the video that was portrayed at Women Deliver Today, was... Um, it depicted the voices of women. And I think like those that has been a little bit lacking in my mind. There were some pieces in the New York Times that really had said, like, where, you know, where are women? You know, why are we, <laughs> why are we making women the soldiers to fight this, you know, uh, uh, epidemic? Um, but I felt today, like you sort of saw um, the voices of women being, and their experiences, which I think is important to get out in the, in the, in the sort of like active media, besides just passive media. Um, I also think that this talk about, you know, the social health inequities, it, it, it gives us pause again to think like the inequities in health make populations vulnerable to things like this, right? So social Zika health. Zika have don't happening in the four poorest regions of Brazil. Exactly, right? It tells us something, right? It tells us that it's, it tells us, and today there's some mention of um, the living conditions, sanitation conditions in which these things are um, happening. It sort of re-emphasizes the role of poverty and social inequity. Um, and also that um, those things need to be addressed in any response. Like it's easy and easy, it's easy in any public health response to look for the treatment or to come up with a new vaccine. Like that's a, it's a first response. But I think like a, a larger response is, is, needed, is, is needed. And so I also was really heartened by um, so these in the second session on Zika where they were talking about the, the issues of the, health, of the health workforce like how to support the health workforce, like what are the demands on the health system going to be, health workers that have to sort of, um, will be working with these women, figuring out the therapies that they and their children need, psychological support, physical phys physical therapy for their kids and different therapies. So I, I, I'm pleased to see that the response of the needs of the health system are not as, as lagging far behind as they have been in other things. Like it's kind of forefront and more of a broader approach that we have to think about. We also heard about the all-male cabinet in the Brazilian government and how the new Minister of Health is an engineer with no health background and how women at home have been bombarded with different health messages, some of which seem to push the responsibility uh, back to women for the disease, for the, for the infection. So, you know, wear long clothes, throw away stagnant water. Exactly, exactly. And so this is, I think, what I was talking about, like how women, and I think the, the term in this talk was women have become the soldiers of the epidemic, but there's no reason that it should only be women who are touted with the task of making sure there's no lying water around, making sure, I mean, this it should be viewed as a um, an equity approach. I mean, not, I, I think, 
men are equally as capable as our grandparents and uncles and whatever to be responsible for um, you know the wa the lime water around their home. It doesn't have to become like the woman's job. And I think um, I think like a broader approach about this is a social you know a, a, a um, a responsibility that should be shared instead of targeted toward women, I think, is important. I mean, I would like to think we would learn lessons from like the HIV epidemic, um, like when you know the like when we first were rolling out condoms. You know, it it really was you know um, targeting men sort of became the second <laughs> thought. You know, I mean, it because women are huge, are seen as you know the the. Um, responsible for their fertility and most methods are for women when we wanted to roll out condom use it was like well we should you know that we should be talking with women to have them get men to use condoms so i don't i don't i don't think a i think a non-equitable approach does not help us in this and so i think to think about shouldering the responsibility as a community as in a partnership is just would be, will be much more productive in the long term and do you think more could be done to help women control their own fertility in Brazil and also to help those pregnant women who are anxious about the future? You know, I hope so. I mean, I think there was a very, I think Brazil in particular is in an interesting place um, in, in other um, as in many Latin American countries, I mean, there's a reliance on sterilization and the availability of long-acting reversible contraception is, you know, not as available as it, as it needs to be. And for young women who might want to space or delay forbearing child, but not end their fertility, like the reintroduction and the introduction, really, of long-acting methods and making those commodities available is going to be imperative mm -hmm. and so I think thought about that I think also that it, that in and of itself is a social norm I mean many countries in Latin America have uh, have adopted sterilization as their main method they have you know their desired number of children young and so they're just there hasn't been a space for long-acting methods this sort of creates a space for long-acting and reversible contraception that we don't want to miss mm -hmm. yeah and for pregnant women, I mean, I mean, is there scope for, for screening? For um, I mean, I mean, obviously, abortion is illegal in Brazil, um, so there there isn't that access to safe abortion. But I mean, is that is, is there even a conversation going on within the country? You know, I've not been to Brazil, so mm -hmm. I I've not I I from what I've heard is like from the media and yeah. from the reports, and so that always gives you perspectives. I think that um, I would hope so. That <laughs> I would hope that that's happening. But I'm like I like I said, I haven't been there. I have not been talking. But I do, I do feel like Brazilian women themselves are very um, passionate about this issue. And I, uh, the presentation that was given, did you, I forget the woman who came. She's like a leading gynecologist in Brazil. I forget. I for, I'm sorry. I forget her name. But she is you know she I love that she introduced herself as a doctor as a feminist and I just feel like the sisterhood of Brazil they're not gonna let each other down I just I can't believe that if you've ever been to Brazil it's passionate I mean I a long time ago I a while ago I, I sat in on a um, review of what works to um, prevent uh, unwanted pregnancy and and improve out sexual and reproductive health outcomes for adolescents 
and this is a forum at WHO, and they bring in the WHO meetings of review of the evidence. They bring people from different continents, and which is fabulous. And so, um, I uh, the women from Brazil who attended that session were definitely like the most passionate, the most opinionated, and had and had important insights about um, about sexual and reproductive health. And so, I think I think we just can't forget that there have been inroads made in Brazil in sexual and reproductive health, and I view Brazil as like a first-rate country in terms of women's rights. And so I think I would not count that out, is what I'm saying. Okay, well, that's a positive note on which to end on. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome.